All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. This is Renee and I'm here with Lauren today and a special guest. We have Daniel LeBon from Defender Shield. Daniel is going to share with us so much amazing information about EMF radiation. So what we need to know about EMF exposure, where it's coming from, what are the health risks with this exposure, and then what we can do about it, right? So we want to always give a solution to a problem. So he really gives us some easy tips that we can all follow starting today. So before I bring Daniel on, let me share with you his bio. So Daniel Lebon is a former engineer and executive in the telecom industry with over 30 years of experience and has become one of the world experts in the subject matter of EMF radiation. 
Over the past few years, Daniel has been interviewed on numerous podcasts and radio shows, including Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Radio, Ben Greenfield's Fitness Podcast, Tony Wrighton's Zestology Podcast, Katie Spears' Wellness Mama Podcast, and many more. So we are excited to have him on our show today. And when Defender Shield was first started, the founders, Daniel and his son, Ryan, quickly realized that there were so many more questions than answers available to the general public about EMF radiation and its effects. So they decided to write a book. That book is called Radiation Nation, The Complete Guide to EMF Radiation Protection and Safety. With a foreword by Dave Asprey, Radiation Nation discusses the health risks of EMF radiation exposure from modern technology and 5G. It offers an up-to-date overview of the entire issue along with ways to protect oneself. Lauren and I both read the book. It is amazing. It's a really easy read. I highly recommend it. It's short. It's sweet. It gets all the great research in there and some awesome tips. But you don't have to read it before you listen to the podcast. So definitely stay tuned, listen in. He's got some great information. Dan, welcome to the show. Renee, thanks so much. And Lauren, I appreciate you inviting me onto your podcast. I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys today. We are too. We think this has been a really hot topic. We know it's been around for a long time, but I think the public is becoming more and more aware of it. So we're really excited to talk about the problems that are out there and the awareness that we all need to have and share with our loved ones and our friends and the community. And I think you have a wealth of knowledge. So I'm really excited. How should we kick this off? Do you want to get, uh, tell our audience how you got started Okay. Because you didn't start with EMFs, right? (laughs) No. Actually, I worked for the Bell System, and I ran the technical laboratories for the Bell System. What what that meant was I I defined the standards that technology had to meet, and then I also had to test technology to see if they comply to the standards. So that was largely my job for years and years. And so, I don't know, about 15 years ago or so, my my boys were, were, were visiting, and they're adult men. And they had their laptops on their lap. And my wife says, I want grandchildren, right? And so she says, that can't be good for you. And I said, no, I I know it's there. The power levels are too low for it to be a problem. But I said, I'll take a quick look into the research side of the the equation. So I I looked into it and I was stunned. After after about three or four hours, the male sperm is uh, immobile. After three or four hours, uh, females can, uh, over time, can generate tumor, non-cancerous tumors. And I, I was like, how come no one knows about this? <laughs> so literally, I said, well, I'm a mechanical engineer by trade, although I was in electronics business my whole career. And I said, I'll build you some, uh, uh, some safety, a, a shielding that you can put on your lap. So when you use a laptop, you're safe. Uh, so I, I started there. And then their friends wanted some of that kind of protection and their friends' friends wanted it. And all of a sudden I found myself building shielding devices for a larger and larger audience. And then after a couple of years, I got fairly frustrated because the medical community knew a lot about the potential dangers, yet none of us knew. So that prompted my son and myself to write a book, A Radiation Nation. And that's a book that tries to describe what we know, where the sources are, what problems it may um, have for the human body, and things you may want to consider doing with some precaution in your own lives. And that was literally out of frustration I wrote it, because it was really frustrating to me that there was so much known about the potential dangers, and there was clear evidence of those impacts being in our 
in our in a, in a society, and yet no one knew. So that was literally how I got into this. I didn't plan on being in this business, actually, it turns out. Yeah, that's how the best businesses come about, though. Yeah. When it just happens naturally. And I have to say for all of our listeners, the book is incredible. I promise it's a very easy read, great science and research, great practical tips of what to do. You know, I read the book in like three days. I mean, very easy. I think some of the EMF books out there are a little too complex. Yours was perfect. So I highly recommend people pick that up. Yeah, Renee. Uh, the fact was, I was writing it for your mother, your grandmother. I, I was, I was writing it not for a, a broad, broad audience. I needed to write in a way that the layperson who doesn't know much about these technology things could understand it. And yeah, we we sort of reduced the engineering details that we typically have in these kinds of books, and we tried to ma- amp up sort of sort of the consequences of these things in our environment. So yeah, thank you for that comment. Yeah. And did you have any pushback initially when you started to dive into that research when you were at Bell Labs or any of the other companies you worked for? Was anyone trying to stop you? No, no. Actually, I know everyone in the Bell system, right? So uh, I had friends of mine who were literally offices of companies, of some of the very large companies, and they knew what I was doing and they were fine with it. Uh, we, we, We don't describe a panic situation. We try to describe what the facts are. And what you need to know. So it was hard for anyone to comment. And besides the fact that my intention was to to be under the radar. I wasn't going to be controversial. My goal was to help people understand the problem. So no, I haven't been harassed by anybody, believe it or not. I mean, that's good. So I'm curious, what is your opinion as to why people aren't hearing about this? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of money in the tech world and 5G. Like what's the big cover up? I'll, I'll tell you the story. Uh, when I was 12 years old, which was many, many years ago, I smoked cigarettes. I wanted to be a big man, right? And so at that time, science knew there was a direct correlation between smoking and cancer of the lungs. Science knew it, but it was in common knowledge. At the time, it's just like a, it's a, like a phenomenon of our, of our society. There was a lag. It was known, but no one knew it. It was only after they lost in courts, the smoking industry lost in courts, that it became common knowledge. And now we have signs that say smoking can kill you. But we knew for 40 years that it was dangerous. And that's, a, that's sort of like a model that exists uh, on all the trans fats, right? Trans fats were just banned last year, right? But 30 right. years ago, it was identified as a problem. It took that many years to move it out of our society. And uh, so, so EMFs are like the new smoking, right? It's exactly. going to take time. It takes time, and you have all these uh, factions in the marketplace influencing opinions, um, pro con. So these kinds of things often are very controversial, and it's really hard to see what the facts are. And so it takes long time for these to flush out. It also takes a long time to have maturity in the marketplace to really know if there are problems or not. Uh, you can't say after you notice someone get ill once in one year that it's a chronic problem. You have to have years of data and understanding it in the field to really be able to intelligently decide if it is a danger or not. So how is the research happening? What kind of studies are being done? Wow. So this is the point I say there's a preponderance of evidence. I was absolutely stunned about how much 
data we actually have that identify very specific linkages of electromagnetic radiation, the radiation from your cell phone, the radiation from your laptop, the radiation from your tablet, all of these are radiating somewhere from your device to another device. And so this technology, we now have preponderance of evidence that connects a linkage between very specific things like the electromagnetic radiation emitting from your wall, from AC service, right? It's not much, but we know under certain circumstances, if you're close to it for long periods of times, there's a two or three times more likelihood of leukemia. Uh, so, so we know this from some study work. But one of the things that was lacking in all these data is that when you look at data, you have to have a very, very, very large population of study subject. And then when you find something out from those subjects, you can confidently say, oh, this is real. And I'm 95% confident that the facts I found in this study are real. It takes tens of thousands of subjects before you can make those statistical claims, right? And most of the studies are 100 here, 500 there, 1,000, but never statistically significant. So that keeps up the argument. Is it real or not? There's two things I like to point out about that. And that is, you look at the data, and then what you do is you look at the metadata. You, you look at all the individual studies and look at their findings and look at similarities in how they ran their studies. And then you can say, is there a common theme, a common message? The meta, that's metadata, and metadata is clear and evident. And recently, actually, it turns out, the, the Ramzani Institute in, in uh, Italy, which is a consortium research study work from experts, they actually had tens of thousands of subjects in an epidemiology sub subject. And they found a direct link to statistically significant frontal lobe cancer and heart cancer, believe it or not. And then we had the National Toxicity Program, which is in the U.S. They spent $30 million a little over 10 years ago, and they did a significantly significant data study. And they found literally the same results. So we know that there is a statistically significant probability that there's a direct link to frontal lobe and heart cancer. So that's actually emerging as we learn more and more about this. But believe it or not, I'm not worried about the cancers because you're talking about very, very small populations uh, that are being impacted. I'm worried more about the neurological changes that we see. You know, kids are in school, right? ADHD is increasing. Uh, if you're an adult, six foot male adult, that the signal and the standard created for that allows that signal to go in uh, two inches into the head and heat up by two degrees. That signal goes right through their head. It's screwing around with the frontal lobe. And it certainly is not a standard that represents the population using cell phones. When it was created, actually, it was created using the Army data about six-foot males and the statistics of the six-foot male, right? Well, guess what? That's about 3% of the population. What happened to all the women? What happened to all the kids? Yeah, and, the and, pregnant and, women, the children. Oh, but right, think of that, right? That, 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 that wasn't considered when they did the standards. And I mentioned the thermal impact, the heat in two degrees, right? 
That's not the big deal. It's the biological impacts that science is finding out. Hurting your eyes, those are biological changes. Headaches, fatigue, foggy thinking, all of those things are correlated directly to electromagnetic radiation. And you're buying your child a six-year-old phone when he's six years old, and they're calling grandma. Mm -hmm. What's going on? That started in their lives. In my life, it, uh, you know, my, my mind's like mostly over. Well, you give it to a child that's six years old, no one knows what the impacts are. I don't care what anybody yeah. tells you. We really don't know yet. We can point to a lot of study work, but the real impact, which I think is going to be far more than we think, uh, ain't even speculate because our children are being exposed at a very early age. So like is experiment. it? <laughs> yeah, it yeah, is. Or experiment, yeah. Is it so? It seems like there's two big factors here. One, they're in their developmental age, uh, age, right? They're developing; their brains are are yeah. growing. But it's also just the length of exposure. Yeah, very good. In very addition good to what point. the adults are getting. Yeah, Lauren, very good point. The, the fact is, the skull itself is far more immature for a child than it is a full six foot male adult. The soft tissue is really soft. And it's the RF, the radio frequency, the, the cell phone emissions that actually looks for soft tissue. And when I said that there was the heart and the, and the frontal lobe, that's all the softest tissue. By the way, there's, the groin is also soft tissue as well. We can talk about that as well. But uh, it's the soft tissue. And how soft, a, soft tissue can it be with a child? It's the worst, the worst case. And I would so. imagine for pregnant women, oh. there's even less protection for these so, babies. A few, uh, about five years ago uh, in San Francisco, a doctor gave meters to a bunch of women, a bunch of pregnant women. And he said, measure everywhere you go and we'll watch your progress in your pregnancy. At the end of, at the, end of the study, they found that you were three times more likely to miscarriage in the first, uh, first trimester when you were in high exposures. So there is no question, at least in that study, when you have a, a, a woman exposed at, uh, in, a, in a pregnancy, there is impact to the womb. In fact, I mentioned ADHD. There's studies that show in vitro, in other words, in the womb, the child was influenced by electromagnetic radiation. So if you're a female and you are having a child, really be careful, making sure you always uh, take the precautionary measures to make sure you are safe and, and your child's safe. That's scary because it's not just ADHD. It's everything that happens in your frontal lobe, all of our impulse control and judgment and using rationale. So these kids are growing up and we're seeing a lot of anxiety, anger. Like Right. Look, look at all the anger. It's like, it's, it's like tenfold. Why is it tenfold? Some of these kids are in classrooms where Wi-Fi is in the classroom all day seven hours a day. When, mm. you know, I didn't mention this, a, a cell phone transmits 1.6 watts per kilogram. The power level is a reasonably high level to be able to get to the cell tower. When, when you're in a classroom and you have Wi-Fi running in the classroom, it's not five watts. It's about a third of the power level of the cell phone directly to your head. But the ambient in the room is not five watts, one third of the watt levels. And by the way, if you hit your head, and you have a concussion, and the blood-brain barrier drops, you, your frontal lobe is even more susceptible. Anytime your blood-brain barrier drops, it's more susceptible. And we know from research, dot one watts per kilogram 
16 times less than a cell phone can impact the cell in the frontal lobe. It can mutate the cell in the frontal lobe. So it doesn't take much stuff to really have an impact to the human body. Well, I have to say, I'm really happy I didn't have a cell phone until I was at least 15. I guess it could have been worse, but... Yeah. Could have been worse, but that's still very young. And yeah, now it's everywhere. The Wi-Fi is coming out of the walls and we have right. phones, computers, yeah. multiple so, televisions. Think of, think of this. You give your 12-year-old girl a cell phone she puts it in her back pocket. It's transmitting all the time. And so there's some um, researchers, and, and I don't believe, agree with this, though, but there are some very educated, well-pedigreed, experts that say that the cell phone can influence the egg and mutate the egg. He talks about the whole uh, human race being impacted over time, where those mutations continue in subtending generation. And, and so they think it's somewhat extreme. I don't, because it's statistics. But I, I was working with Dr. Prasad. He's a, probably the most profound expert in radiology in the country. And he read the book and he said, uh, because I talked about the influence to the cell of a womb. And he said, I didn't believe you. And then he said, a lady walked in who is very young, very technology literate and had all this technology around her all the time. And she had a stillborn child with several mutations and they couldn't figure out what they were. The probability of one mutation was almost zero. But having two at the same time was absolutely zero. And he called me up and he said, I can't explain it, but this certainly is one example that you describe as a theory of what may have happened. Remember, the distance in your back pocket to the center of the womb is not much. It's six inches. Right. Be careful. Don't put your cell phones in your back pocket. So some women may think, oh, I'm not putting it in my bra or near my oh, chest. Oh, my goodness me. My pocket. It's fine. It's on the backside. There's yeah. nothing there. Right. Do- doctor, thing. doctor, I, pu- I put it on my uh, in my bra and now I have cancer there. Well, don't put it there so you don't get cancer. It's literally true. There were yeah. so many research studies that showed direct correlation between the patterns of the cell phone on the on the breast uh, that that was direct correlation uh, to the to the emissions, to this, uh, the cancer. So yeah, you're right. And you know, now they're building sports bras with cell phone pockets in them. Oh yeah. Blows my mind. Every type of exercise wear it's active wear. It's insane. It's, it's, it's really, I, I, um, I like yoga and I, I went to a yoga class and the teacher came up and it was around Christmas time. And she had one of these things on her, on her, uh, wrist that told her cell phone, that she was breathing right, her, her, her heart rate was right, everything was wonderful about her body. And it was transmitting every second, transmitting that data in Bluetooth to the signal. I said, I am an EMF guy. Do you not understand? You don't do that. And, <laughs> and stay I, away from me. <laughs> right. And, and the, she, doesn't, she didn't realize it really does have a potential influence your own body performance. And we'll talk about some of those things later, but it can influence the body. And if it's a constant, constant transmission like that over a long duration of time, it's more likely to become problematic. Actually, after 10 times of heavy, 10 years of heavy use of a cell phone, you're three times more likely to get cancer. Hmm. Heavy use. Oh. I, haven't, I haven't defined it, but 
But when the cell phone standards were created, it was 15 minutes use per day. You know, when I had a cell phone back then, I had no one else to call because my friends couldn't afford a cell phone. Right. 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 right? Now everyone has a cell phone. They're using it all day and all night. Right. Right. I know in the book you you said, well, what are the, the possibilities of this being a, a problem with cell phones? And they said like, oh, cell phones aren't really going to be a thing. Right. Oh, you, that's oh, right, funny. Right. I, I was I was in the I was with the offices of one of the largest telecommunication companies at that time in the world. And I asked them, what is that about this cell phone stuff? Do you think it's important? And of course, I, it was it was a I, I was lead, it was a leading question. Like, how could you not worry about this as a business because you're in communications? And they said, no, no, that's not what we're doing after. We're going after the princess phone line. I, if you go back long ago, it's that second line, that Prince's phone, where they thought they were going to make their money. That's how off base they were. It was like no, no one realized it, right? Wow. Yeah. Real funny. fact. Real fact. The Prince's phone is how we're going to make money. Pretty huh. incorrect. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I have a lot of questions about transmission. So I have an EMF reader, so I'm constantly like walking around testing things. I notice when if I like open my email and it's loading new emails or if an app is running, it's much higher. Right. Well, what is the, you're saying it's always transmitting, right? If there is a signal, it's transmitting. It's always transmitting. Yeah. Not constant. When, when, when you are downloading something, it's constant. It's receiving something constant and it's transmitting something constant. So it's increasing essentially the stuff around you uh, to do that. If you're downloading a movie, it's always maxed out when you're downloading a movie. It, it's just the function it's doing. So I try to step away from my devices when it's downloading or something new is coming up. But when it's not downloading, just being, because it's getting signal, it's still, what's the difference in terms of bad? Um, Two thirds of the um, power level is reduced by simply having it in idle. But it's even more simpler than that, Lauren. You, you can actually take a cell phone that's downloading like that. And if you put it three to four foot away from you, 98% of the potential harm to your cells is zero, uh, is, is away. If wow. when you have it to your head, it's not like you, you're get, it may affect you most. If you're one to two foot away, it's like 80% of the danger is gone by four foot, 98%. It's really that distance is it's very simple way of keeping yourself protected, believe it or not. Yeah, distance is your friend. Distance is your friend. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's so right. I, so all the people that are like, what? I'm not going to get rid of my cell phone. I'm not going to get rid of my tech. It's just socially. <laughs> Social right. distancing. Right. <laughs> right. It's, socially right. distance it, it, your tech. Technology distancing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Dan, if we can take a step back for some people that maybe are totally new to this subject, like what exactly are EMFs? Like what okay. is EMF radiation and what are the biggest sources of it? The earth itself generates electromagnetic radiation. So it's been here since the dawn of time. It generates up to 15 hertz. That's a measure of a frequency rate. And it's DC. It's, so we've had a little bit of this stuff in our life right from the beginning of mankind. Then there's light. The light you look at is called visible light. And there is electromagnetic radiation. That's what it is. And it just seems to have different colors. And actually, talking about colors is important. And as we progress in the discussion, we'll talk a little bit about colors and why you got to worry about it. But so those two. Beyond that, as I always say, cows don't generate EMF. 
They, nature doesn't generate it. Everything else is generated by mankind's products. So cell phone, electrical wiring in a wall, uh, meters, uh, the smart meters connecting to the grid. Those are transmitting radio frequency signals. Tablets using Wi-Fi, or they can use cell phone, depending on how they're configured. So just about every device that talks out to the outside world is using radio frequency. And the radio frequency is the cell connection, the Wi-Fi connection, and they're different, and the Bluetooth connection, and that's different. So when you have a cell phone in your hand, you have three separate transmitting signals coming out of a cell phone. And I bet you, you don't use two of them, the Bluetooth and the Wi-Fi. You're not really using them, right? Why do you have them on if you're not using them? By simply reducing the amount of these transmitting sources within your own environment, you reduce the probability of that impacting your own body by simply turning them off or moving them away. That's great. And a great explanation. Um, I have to say, I always keep my Bluetooth off. Yep. But I think that's something that a lot of people don't think right. about. Like I'll check my friend's phone. I'm like, why do you have Bluetooth on? Right. They're like, oh, I didn't know it was on. Right. Like people don't think about that. And so question for you about the Wi-Fi versus connecting to like a 4G, 5G. I've heard that if you're out and about and the Wi-Fi signal is really weak and you're connecting to the 5G, you're better off turning off the Wi-Fi, right? Because that'll reduce your exposure. Okay, so uh, Renee, this is these are the facts. Wi-Fi works up to 500 feet of the router, roughly. Okay. So when you're going out, you're not using Wi-Fi. You're using cell connections. And up to 4G, it, it's roughly one to two uh, gigahertz. Let me, let me explain what a gigahertz is. Well, remember I said um, uh, the Earth generates 15 hertz? Uh, one hertz is one cycle per second. One hertz. Many cell phones work at 900 megahertz. That's 900 million cycles per second. When you talk about the range of cell phones, which I said is one to two gigahertz, that's one to two billion cycles per second. So it's going faster, 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 faster. The faster it goes, the less distance it can go. So up to 4G, there's been little controversy, it seems. All of a sudden, 5G comes along and there's a whole bunch of controversy. Believe it or not, with 5G, almost everything you hear today is in the one below the two gigahertz range. It's the low end. It's been around for a long time. What the real worry about is when you go above that, what's, when is that going to happen? When you have a cell tower, they call them small cell site towers in front of your house for the broadband access service to your house, that's going to be 20 gigahertz to 90 gigahertz, 90 billion cycles per second. But it can only go 750 feet. So when you talk about 5G, most of it is the same stuff we have around up to 4G, except for the small cell site, it was 5G. And that's where all the controversy is that everyone's panicking, that 5G is linked to viruses, 5Gs. It's all because there's a perception that those increased bandwidths being used are going to negatively impact our body. 
I'm sort of going to jump to some information that I know you guys sort of pay attention to. Up to 4G, we know your immune system is suppressed from the use of a cell phone, believe it or not. And when, when you talk about that, that reduction that, it, of course, you opened up to other challenges as a result. But it's also true that bugs, the virus and bacteria in your gut, microbiome, the, the microbiome of your gut, is also likes these rates, these up to two gigahertz. They, they propagate slightly better. But what it's not, what we don't have is a propagation of, it's both the good and the bad. So it, it creates potentially imbalances in the, in the body. When you go to 5G above the two gigahertz space, up to the 20 gigahertz, we know bugs like that as well. So some of the argument is that, oh, we know from some research that our gut may be further challenged as a result of these kind of exposures. So, but people are speculating. There is no direct correlation between any of this in research and science. And anything you've heard is pure speculation, oftentimes not by very knowledgeable people. But it's just because it's going in that direction, right? We're getting more and more exposed. Right, People right. are projecting that it's going to be Right, worse. right, right, right. And it's not unusual to project and say, I know it happened up to this spate, and I'm going to say that's it likely to It must get worse, yeah. Yeah, it's not unusual to do that. But I actually think it may be a bit more impactful because when, when you start increasing the speeds in these small cell sites, you actually have to take two signals and send it to the user. Now there's only one, and you're going to have to send two of them to get the data passed through. They call that multi-in, multi-out MIMO and beaming. So that new technology associated with the small cell sites have different transmission characteristics that may be more impactful to the user. So I'm trying to understand, is it the speed or is it the sheer volume because the speed is increased? Because if it's, we look at the spectrum, like AM radio is a pretty long, slow wave, right? Yes, Where yeah, right. Sun is, is fast, but the sun isn't inherently Right, constant. right. Exactly. Great question, Lauren. So let's talk a little bit about that. We, what we know is when you get to the 20 to 90 gigahertz space, it's moving very, very fast. And what we know is currently at two gigahertz, it's relatively slow compared to the wall, the electronics from your wall. It's 60 gigahertz. And I'll talk a little bit about this now. When, when you have a breakdown of a cell, we were talking about when it mutates, what actually happens is the cell hits the, the signal hits the cell. And when it hits the cell, it keeps on hitting on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off, because there's a digital signal. And it's that constant on, off to the cell that the cell breaks down and it's you irritating. may have heard. Yeah. Cause it's irritating the cell. And I don't know if you've heard that there's a calcium penetration that occurs at that point. Mm -hmm. And then when right. that occurs is a, a chemical reactions and that's why it mutates it or DNA damages the cell. When you increase that speed, it makes it potentially worse to the cell. You put two signals onto the cell that may make it even worse. So there's a lot of unknown we have about it. We, we know that the characteristics of today's transmissions does irritate the cell in that way. And the way we're doing the next generation with the higher end speeds could make it worse. But I got to say it again. 
I'm not worried about that stuff. I'm really worried about the insomnia, the the, the ten, tendinitis, uh, the headaches, the the dizziness, the burning sensations, all of the things we know that people are feeling from electromagnetic radiation. And I meant to say this before, 20% of us or more are electric hypersensitive. That is, you can go into a room and you literally can feel it. You know there's a router in the corner. You, you know there's more than one cell phone in the room. You're, you're hypersensitive. You're, your body feels it. And it's a very real feeling and it's growing as a problem in our environment. And by the way, of that 20%, 80% of women, women hmm. more feel electromagnetic radiation than men. So Why do you, you think that is? Hormones, brain differences. There's a lot of speculation. Honestly, I've not seen anything that says why. I keep on asking the question, but I haven't seen yeah. why yet. I mean, concussions obviously make you more sensitive, but oh, no could question it be like about an it. antioxidant status or just like a detoxification? So I hate the word antioxidant because it's, <laughs> Explain. Because, because it's an imbalance between radicals and antioxidants, right? Right. Uh, you talk about oxidative stress. So I hate it because people think that's now you understand what the problem is. No, you don't. You haven't even started. It's actually a cell danger response. You know, when you have a fight or flight, uh, the body has a fight, uh, fight or flight, you mm -hmm. run or you, it, it gets into a state. Well, a cell danger response is the state the cell goes into. And when it does, it, it's not just talking about what the cell's doing, sending the protein back and forth and doing the roles that they do, but all the processes are impacted. There's 4,000 processes in the body. When you go to sleep and create a melatonin, melatonin doesn't ex just exist. It actually gets triggered by the cryptochrome in the eye and many other functions that occur in the gut. And, and so all of a sudden, melatonin appears, and it was a process. The, the mechanical machine had to create it. And when you have cell danger response, all those potentially get interrupted. So it's, it's not just an imbalance of free radicals to antioxidants. It's far more complex. Sounds like a nervous system and hormonal response. Oh, a nervous system is also true. There, there is a um, circumventricular organ in the back of the brain. We know that's being impacted from radio frequency stuff. We know that the spinal cord is being impacted. The conductivity of those body parts are, are, are modified as a result of exposures. So, um, Is it keeping us in a sympathetic state? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes, that's so even exactly when we're sleeping. It. Yeah, actually, if you have a cell phone next to your bed at night, I'll come over and shoot you. You <laughs> do, not want, you do not want this stuff yeah. around your body because you, you, the, the circadian rhythm of sleep is so important for the recovery of the body. And we know that a cell phone close to the head, a clock close to the head at night, is disrupting uh, brain pattern, as well as many other things. In fact, I like to talk about it when you're hypersensitive like that. I've seen patients through some clinics, they're walking and their, their brain pattern, the alpha-beta uh, combination, is reversed. So you're walking and you're sleeping in your brain, or, your mm. brain, or you're sleeping and, and your brain's awake. It, it huh. really disrupts the patterns. And of course, that's the starting point for why you have a circadian di disruption, which 
doesn't allow the melatonin to be created in time. It doesn't allow the mitochondrial repair at night that has to occur. There's a lot of stuff that's sort of fit around when that, that influence that you have from RF signals. And most so, people are waking up looking at their cell phones in the morning before they look at the sun. It's crazy. Right? They're looking at blue light before you're getting full spectrum or red light. Lauren, I was on a podcast and I was telling this really, really nice lady, great, smart lady, get the cell phones out of your bedroom. Her husband had one on his side. She had one on her side. I say, get the clocks away from you. Turn, make sure there's no conductivity and uh, light bulbs anywhere in the room running conductivity. And she was really nice to me. Oh, thank you so much for that. She didn't believe what I was saying. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people people think they can't, they can't see it. Right. Yeah. And they didn't believe a word. About a month later, she called me back and she said, Dan, we're sleeping. Would you do another podcast with me? (laughs) Ah, So even three to four feet away. I mean, we we tell everyone to keep it out of the bedroom, but is there any benefit to just increasing the distance to begin? When it comes to a bedroom, that's the sanctuary. You do not want anything. I don't care because the duration of time is so long. Even the most minuscule influence. So you don't want anything we'll in the bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and something interesting you said in your book, I had not heard this before. So we all are aware of, you know, blocking blue light at night. We're wearing our blue light blocker glasses because we want yeah. that melatonin release. But you were saying that the EMFs are actually blocking the pineal glands release of melatonin. So who right. cares about the blue light if you still have right? People do not Wi-Fi. understand the circadian rhythm is literally being controlled by sunlight for millennia, right? We went to sleep at night because there was no sunlight. Guess what? That was the blue light component of the visible light. And people don't quite realize that you can get premature macular degeneration from looking at a modern screen today, a tablet. If you're constantly look at that, the LEDs that have a high intensity blue light component to it, which they all do, that could establish a premacular generation. I remember I was talking with a clinician and he was telling me that one of his teammates in in the office had dry eye. And I said, why does she have dry eye? Well, she has dry eye. So we always give her drops. And he was like doing it for the last five, 10 years. And I said, I'm going to send you a pair of glasses. I sent them a blue light shielding glasses. Within two hours, her eyes were wet. She was looking at the screen all day, and they didn't realize that 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 kind of constant reveal. I'm wearing blue blue light because I'm looking at a screen. You you just want to take precautionary measures to screen that out. And you're right about the melatonin because it's just not the pineal gland which gets influenced by RF. By the way, it's 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 also the the cryptochrome protein in the back of the eye. It's literally the little switch that goes on and off that turns the process on. But what research is showing us now is it's like it is the window to the brain. And we know that the controls of those brain functions by the eye and through the eye also controls balance and all sorts of other things. And so I know clinics are finding more and more that it's not just that they have a problem sleeping at night. There are other sort of things that are occurring as well as a result of the kinds of exposures to these technologies today? Yeah, I've noticed, I mean, I have all of my blue light blocking devices. I have flux on my computer, but 
when I do happen to be doing a little bit more work later at night, which I try not to do, but I'm, I'm definitely guilty of it sometimes. Right. I, I'm not guaranteed to sleep better. And that makes a lot of sense. I'm still being exposed to all the radiation, yeah. even though I'm blocking all the blue light. Right. It's maddening. And I know that it's happening, but oh, yeah. Yeah. you can't just put on the glasses and make everything red. Like I can barely see, but I'm still right. being exposed to so much a- crap. Abs- absolutely. <laughs> Uh, that's why some are actually going to an extreme where they're turning off power within to the room. I personally don't think that's necessary. If you're diligent, and I'll tell I'll tell the story now. You got to look for the bees in the room. You, you got you got to find out where all the transmitters are in your environment and turn them off if you don't need them. A very simple thing to do, right? We talked about a cell phone. Your cell phone has three transmitters. All you need is one to make a phone call. If you really want the Bluetooth on when you get in your car so you can use this, the car system, you can. But if you're hypersensitive, just that Bluetooth signal can bother you. I had a guy who called me up and he, and he was a very hypersensitive guy. He was exposed to electronics early age. And I helped him think about how he could figure out in his working environment how he could minimize exposures. He called me up after he got a, a bunch of stuff that I had suggested. And he says, I'm still bothered. I'm still bothered. I said, did you turn the Bluetooth off? And he went to his machine, his computer, and he said, no. I said, turn it off. That Bluetooth alone was bothering him. So if you're hypersensitive, Bluetooth itself alone can, uh, can uh, disrupt you. But when you connect to devices, if you can use Ethernet, wire. Simple wiring to your device. It's better performance and it keeps it more safe. If you have to use a Bluetooth, I mean, a, a Wi-Fi, put it in the back room where none of your families are. The signal will come in to the, where you're using it and it'll work. But the power levels are much, much lower than they are at the device itself. So put it in the back corner. Then at night, get a little $10 timer. Have it turn off at night at 10 o'clock and turn it on at six o'clock in the morning when you're up and you're eliminating it in your environment. So simple little things you can do to just um, reduce the bees in the room. I actually don't believe in meters because people go nuts about meters. All you got to do is be aware of your environment and try to think about where these devices and what they're, how they're communicating and simply turn them off. And almost always you'll be fine when you do. I've noticed that my EMF meter kind of doesn't know what to do with itself. In, right, I live in right. New York. I'm like surrounded. So right. it's like oh, the reading it. is up and down and up and down. And like you can't even tell where it's coming no. from because it's just everywhere. It, it right. doesn't exactly. matter that I have one. And remember, most of that is outside your space, right? So you're not really learning anything. But what's really important is that within your space, You've turned everything on as much as you can, and, yeah. and and you'll be fine. I love the the trick of the Ethernet cables. Oh um, yeah! So my husband and I just built a new house a couple months ago, and we put Ethernet ports in every room. Yep. Which yep, and it's been amazing because I can just go room to room and plug it in. But it's like we've come full circle. I feel like we used to do that. Then Wi-Fi was all the rage. No one right. wanted to plug anything into a wall, and now we're yep. back to plugging things in. Yeah, actually, Renee, there are applications that sit on TVs today, and everything can be Ethernet. You don't even need a coaxial cable to, to the TVs anymore. Uh, hmm. And you, you're safer, and uh, you get as much as, if not more, multimedia services you sort of require. So, yeah. yeah. And my it's, internet's much faster. 
that oh, way. Oh, yeah, of course. Everything's much faster as a result. Yeah. And hopefully you put CAD 6 in, right? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Do I need to check that? <laughs> I'll ask my husband. He's the tech right. guru in the house. <laughs> he set it all up for me. But yeah, that's a great tip. So I think, you know, for people listening, hopefully they're really understanding what's going on and why we need to be proactive about this. So distance, get stuff out of your room, hardwire if you can. Right. Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn, turn off the extra, off. turn off right. the Bluetooth. What are the other top things people should be doing? If if you do all those things diligently, you don't need to do much else. Okay. If you choose to have devices close to your body, like my sons did, you may want to think about shielding. But by and large, you don't need shielding if you manage. Like if you have a stroller, don't put the cell phone in the back, right next to your child's head that you're strolling around, right? Yeah. You just have to know not to do that. If you take it and you put it on airplane mode and put it in your pocketbook, much more safe. So what you do with it during the day means a lot about how much you and your family are going to be impacted from it. So turning it off at night, that at least takes care of a third of your day. But I know for me, every time I leave my house, I have my phone. If I go for a run, it's pretty close to my body. So um, I know you have some really great solutions for that, like the phone packs, you have laptop mats, you have blankets. Can you go into some of these? There are incredible solutions yeah. that are, once you've done everything else, are incredible. Well, well as you remember, I, I started with my boys using a PC on their laps. And then it evolved where whenever you had a device near you, is there some way of protecting you? And that's where we've, our product lines have evolved over the last several years is like, how do you protect the device? How do you do the best job you can to protect the, the body? Uh, you, you will never be perfect, but you can minimize dangers to a fairly uh, solid degree. And so we went from with the cell phones. I knew uh, that before we had them, I, I read an article about a parent buying a six-year-old child a cell phone. And she was peak of health at 16. She got a cell phone. One year later, she had frontal lobe cancer and passed away. I was so upset because I knew I could shield it. And her, you know, if you chose to use it, at least you'd be safe using a device that I have. So I immediately went into cell phones and I, I built devices that if you choose to use it, you're protected when you do. And that led to a whole variety. My earphones I'm using for this conference. That I, I've taken the electronics out of closeness to the head by going acoustical. I convert the signal to a speaker, and then there's a tube that goes to my ear. So rather than having that exposure like you have with your wire running up your head, I, I've reduced that even further. So I, I, I'm always trying to figure out ways of eliminating particularly for the hypersense. Yeah, the Defender Shield products are are great. I'm so happy that you have created those and shared those with the world. And for our listeners, you do get a discount code, uh, Biohacker Babes. Thank you so much, Dan, for sharing that with everyone. Oh, no so if problem. anyone wants to check out the website, some great products. Can yeah. you just, before we go any further, can you explain how something like the phone shield works? Like with the transmission of the phone, like where the signals are coming out and how that actually blocks it without it, I guess, rendering it completely useless? 
uh, Lauren, it's it's pretty simple. We didn't talk about the complete nature of electromagnetic radiation, but this is what it is. When you have a pretend at the tip of my finger, uh, there's a transmission, an RF transmission. It opens up, it opens up. It's a ball that keeps on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's called an omnidirectional signal. So it keeps on going everywhere. The cell tower may be in front of you, but that signal is going to the back of you. It's going all around you. When you use a cell phone with a shield like we have produced, we just prevent it from going in the direction of the head. That's it. We don't allow, we allow it to go out. It's still transmitting everywhere it needs to go, but it's not going to the head, which is the most vulnerable as we've talked about. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the, the technologies we use are not complicated. They're, they're, they're practical, simple ways of uh, minimizing the exposure. Our blanket, it was for pregnant women we, we made it. We started off by, for, for pregnant women because of the exposure of the, of the womb. And uh, electrohypersensitive now are buying our product because it's a, it's a floating ground. It, it, when it doesn't let anything through, but your own body is a capacitor and it discharges into the blanket, believe it or not. And so you feel more calm because now your own body's, when you put a, well, your foot on the ground in, in sand, you feel better, right? That's sort of likely what this does. Yeah. Uh, not quite as well. It's a grounding is not quite as natural as sand, but it's similar in what it does. So it's so, either absorbing or it's redirecting away from the body. Right. Actually, absorbing is a good, we actually conduct it, believe it or not. We actually take the, we take the energy and we bring it along a path and all energy has to go somewhere. We convert it to heat. You, you can't even measure it. It's so minuscule, but we're converting heat uh, to heat, which emits into the air and goes away. So, you know, it's simple science that we use uh, when we build these uh, devices. Really That's awesome. It's really exciting. So Dan, before we let you go, we always like to ask our guests if you can share one piece of advice that people can start following today, it does not have to be EMF related. It can be, that's up to you. Um, but just one tip for everyone. You're the architect of your own destiny. There's no question you own your environment. No one else does. And so as the architect, you should worry about your environment of you and your family. And you are the one who will make the changes to make that the most safe environment for them. You wouldn't have an open can of uh, gasoline in the middle of the room because of all the organic compounds would be smelled by your whole family. You wouldn't buy uh, food with boatload of pesticides when creating it. You need to be aware of what you're buying and bring into your house. And, and you are the architect of your destiny and only that. I will say finally, at your deathbed, you will not think about your podcast. You won't think about your college you went to. You won't think about any of those things. What you'll think about is your family and friends. So my suggestion is make sure you realize now before you on the deathbed, the most important people are the people around you. I love that. That's great. Thank you. Wonderful advice. I have a million more questions and I wish that we had more time with you. Can I squeeze one more in before I let you go? Go right ahead. (laughs) Can you, in the most simple way, can you explain if 
and how helpful like those stickers or like pieces of jewelry are protecting? I answer that very simply. I knew more about testing technology than any labs that I've gone to because that's what I did for the Bell system. Yet, if you go to my website, I have independent studies from FCC laboratories, and I did that intentionally. I did it so you you couldn't trust me, but you can trust an independent resource. Um, there are a lot of claims made by a lot of people about a lot of shielding products of some sort. And I can tell you some of them don't understand physics or science. There's no question about in my mind. And I'm not aware of everyone, but I am cautious. I would suggest if you think about looking for other devices, you look for independent confirmation of the, the, the claims. Of, and there are a lot of claims which are not science-based. I'm really not sure what they're based on. But, so you look for independent confirmation of, of statements being made, and then you'll be able to be more assured that what you're hearing is correct. If they don't have it, and if you don't see any evidence of what testing that's been done, don't don't walk, but run. Mm, great. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, that's really good to know. Thanks so the that. book is uh, Radiation Nation. Get it now. Read it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and the, uh, the website is Defender Shield. Amazing, amazing solutions to protect yourselves and your loved ones. So check that out. Dan, thank you so much. You have instilled a healthy dose of fear. And now I feel like I'm going to be even more proactive. <laughs> Agreed. Yes. I want to share Lauren, this with everyone. Yeah. Lauren and Renee, thanks so much for inviting me. I really did enjoy this. So thank um, you. Really awesome. All right. Thanks for joining us. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking.